Brilliant. Once those are done, I'm going to invite my friends here to give you another sheet. That's the sheet for, you get to keep this one, that's the sheet for this morning's talk. So you'll know the difference, one of them you'll have written on and the other one you won't have, okay? Uh, and the one it sh- that's coming out now should say Romans part 11. 11, can you believe it? We're, we've got to part 11. Uh, we've got about two or three more weeks to go on this series. And uh, can you put the first slide up for me, guys? Thank you. Wonderful. Um, the good news is we've reached the top of the mountain. <laughs> I don't know what your natural response or reaction is if you've ever climbed a mountain when you reach the top. I'm sure it's to just to fall down and worship and adoration, isn't it? For me, it's usually just to fall down and eat my lunch or something. And, and half the time in this country, if you climb a mountain, you actually can't see anything once you get to the top because you're up in the clouds. But just let's use a bit of imagination. Um, when I first was uh, preparing this series, when I started to look at Romans, this is way back, sort of September time, I wrote um, uh, an email or a text, actually, to a really good friend of mine, Simon Bateson. You may remember him. He's been here a couple of times to speak. And uh, he's the guy who really switched me on when I was working alongside him uh, back in my old church in Birmingham. And I was working alongside him, and he's the guy who switched me on to studying the Bible properly studying the Bible. And uh, I wrote him and said, oh, you know, I'm just beginning um, to look at a series on Romans. And he wrote back a text to me, which I've kind of copied. Uh, Did I put it in here? I don't remember if I did, actually. Oh, I didn't do it. Never mind. I wrote, I've got it here. He said, Romans. He said, in my view, the key verse is chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, dot, 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 we'll come to that in a minute. He said, it's my favourite. He said, it's like the view from a theological mountaintop, gazing on all that Christ has done for us. He then wrote, enjoy your studies, my good friend. I dug out that text the other day. I was going to reproduce it for you, but evidently I forgot. And what that made me, that kind of set off a press in my mind where I ended up making this, uh, which is just a graphic um, to show, just to help us as we work our way through this book. Um, because some of you may have been here. Has anyone been here for every single talk? Wow, I'm impressed. I have, by the way. <laughs> um, although Brian did do one of them for me. Um, but for those of us who've been diving in and out, hopefully this has helped us to, to sort of map the, map the way through, through uh, this thing. And um, today we're going to look at chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. In fact, I'm going to read the first eight verses. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, uh, it would be great if you would turn that up. Um, And we're going to read together. It's a pretty well-known passage, but it's so important that we understand the context of this verse and these verses. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I I know these verses pretty well and I've read them and quoted them a lot of times. But I don't think I've ever done that, having then previously spent the previous two and a half, three months working through the previous 11 chapters. And that's really important. Chapter 12, verse 1, I'm going to read from the NIV. And I'm going to read eight verses. I am mostly just going to focus on the first two in terms of the preaching. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If you're serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. One of the things I love about that Advent conspiracy is how we've been cheerfully showing mercy and compassion. I'll come back to that later. But I want to concentrate mostly on verses 1 and 2 this morning. And somebody said this is, a, this is like a summary of the whole of the Christian life. 
These two verses are like a summary of the whole of the Christian life. I'm going to break it down into a three-point plan. How to live the life. I could write a conference, couldn't I? Or a seminar. How to live the life God has intended for you. Maybe this morning you're here and you've actually never made a commitment to follow Jesus. This, this sums it up. This is what it's all about. If that's something you're exploring, we'd love to talk more with you. Maybe you're here and you have made that commitment, but you've experienced some kind of spiritual stagnation. This simple plan will revitalise you. Like a really good shower gel in the morning. And it's a simple plan. And it's reflect. And it's respond. And it's renew. Reflect, respond and renew. Verse 1, therefore. Now then, this should be a call and response thing now. Brian's taught me this. When you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself the question, what is it? Well done. Excellent. You passed the test. Give yourself a pat on the back. (laughs) What's that therefore, therefore? This is a a pivot point. This is like, you know, when, I don't know, when when you go to a park and you're probably a bit too old for the, the, like a kid's play park, and you're a bit too old for the apparatus. So instead of sitting on the seesaw, you walk up the seesaw. Have you ever done that? No, never? Oh, come on. You walk up the seesaw and you get to a certain point where it tips over. That's this point, the pivot point. We are looking back over the whole of chapter 1 to 11. In view of everything we've talked about for the last 10 weeks in our sermons, everything, in view of all of that, in view of everything God has done, Now, I can't begin to sum that up. I've had a go on your sheet, which you can have a look at later. I'll sum it up with one sentence here. That we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Everything that God has done for us, in view of God's mercy, therefore, how do we respond? I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So in view of God's mercy, let's just talk about mercy first. We've kind of hammered this point to death, but it's worth hammering it one more time. This is all about what God has done for us. This is not about what we have done for ourselves. This is all about grace. This is all about what God has done for us. And that is the only way, as a Christian, to live. It's the only way to live. The opposite of trying to live by mercy and by grace is to live by fear. Fear just results in spiritual numbness. If you try and live by fear, I promise you, trying to follow Jesus and doing it out of a motivation of fear, it won't last. It really won't last. Living by fear, you end up just going, right, where's the line? Where's the line between sin and not sin? How bad can I be and still not and still be on God? You know, do you know what I'm saying? And if you're always looking for the line, then you're always basically. Con- I say you're we. If we're always looking for the line, we're constantly rationalising. We're constantly blaming others for our stuff. We're just looking to see what we can get away with. The truth is, we can't live by that. We have to live by God's grace and mercy. It's the only way. Living by fear makes it impossible. <laughs> pretty much impossible to endure properly any suffering or hardship that we might experience. We've talked about that in the past few weeks. The only way to follow Jesus is to live in full view of God's mercy. That's why, we did, that's why we're doing this series, to kind of enlighten us and open our minds to how Paul teaches the, what the gospel really is. Some translations use, don't say mercy, they say in view of God's mercies. They use it as a, they translate it as a plural. That's quite helpful, I think, because, you know, oh God, he's a merciful God. We're not just thinking here about, oh, he's a good guy, he's my friend. We're thinking about the very specific things that God has done for us. The things that Jesus has done for us. The pre, the pre-knowing, the foreknowing. The, um, the justification. The granting us his righteousness. The sanctification, the fact that nothing can separate us from Jesus because of what he's done. As we reflect on Jesus' death and his sacrifice, and the fact that he chose each and every one of us, 
And none of us deserved it. But he welcomed us anyway. That's what it means to, in, in view of God's mercy, reflect on God's mercies. That's why we celebrate communion regularly. That's why we baptise people like we're going to in a couple of weeks. They're physical expressions, physical symbolic expressions that just help us better understand and remember what it is that God has done. Tim Keller said this, having a good view of God's mercy provides us with both a powerful assurance and the possibility of and motivation to live by a sacrificially obedient life, pleasing to God. Because there's a real challenge coming up about how we live. I mean, it's a real proper challenge. And the only way we can meet that challenge is if we fully understand what God has done for us in the first place. So we reflect. And having reflected, we respond. And I've written here, respond logically. Or another word is rationally. You know that phrase, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. A living sacrifice, do you know what a sacrifice is? It's, it, we're talking death here. You might as well say, respond as a living killing. That's what it means. It's kind of reminiscent of the old temple, Old Testament temple worship. You know, animals were sacrificed. Blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whole burnt offerings of animals took place out of an, as an act of consecration and devotion to God. You took your best lamb, not the rubbish one from the end of the, your best one. Or your best sheep or your best cow. And you sacrificed it and you killed it and you burnt it out of, a, out of an act of consecration and devotion to God. And Paul shows, already he's shown in Romans how we don't need to shed our own blood because Jesus did that. Jesus became the sacrifice. His blood was shed for our sins. But he requires some kind of killing from us. Some kind of death from us. A wholehearted sacrifice. You know, Jesus says in Luke 9, doesn't he? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you want to lose your life, if you lose your life, you're saving. To be a living sacrifice means to be at fully at God's disposal. Fully, ready. Active, willing to obey God in anything he says. Are you willing? Are we willing? Am I willing? Anything? Anything he says. Anything he says in area of, any area of life, actively and also passively willing to thank him for anything that happens and anything he sends. That's challenging. And he uses this phrase, offer your bodies. And for Greeks and Romans, that again, that was a cultural sort of, I don't know. They, they didn't talk about the body. The Greeks and Romans didn't talk about bodies. They thought of bodies as being sort of very low life and negative. For the Greeks and the Romans, spirituality was something that all went on about in, in your mind and your soul. And Paul, said, Paul doesn't say offer your mind, offer your heart. He says offer your body. It's a particularly key use of the phrase. God's not interested in worship from us that's just purely abstract or inward. I mean, that's important, but God is looking for real, physical, practical, hands-on, all-of-life worship as a response to his mercy and grace. Listen to this guy. There's a guy called John Stott who wrote about this. Now, the language is a little bit old-fashioned, but go with it because I think it's a really good point. Paul made it plain, John Stott says, in his exposure of human depravity back in chapter 3 that it reveals itself through our bodies. Paul talks about tongues which practice deceit and lips which spread poison, in mouths which are full of cursing and bitterness, in feet which are swift to shed blood, and eyes which look away from God. So when we sin, we sin bodily. Conversely, Stock goes on, Christian sanctity, holiness, worship, shows itself in the deeds of the body. So we're to offer the different parts of our bodies, not to sin as instruments of wickedness, but to God as instruments of righteousness. Then our feet will walk in his paths, our lips will speak his truth, 
and spread the gospel and our tongues will bring healing and our hands will lift up those who've fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning and typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved and our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. True and proper worship is in the body. And true and proper worship, he, what, what's the phrase he used? This is your true and proper worship. Some places, some translations it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. And actually neither of those are the best translation. The best translation, oh, another translation says, this is your reasonable service. The best translation says, this is your rational or logical act of worship. Okay, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything God has done for us, the only logical thing to do is to pour out our hearts in worship and give our lives, our whole lives and our whole bodies. You with me? Does that make sense? You're all very quiet. I'm going to take it that you're listening intently. Okay? You are. You're doing very well. Thank you. In light of all that God has done for us, the only logical response is to offer our whole selves back to him. How could we not? I mean, how could we not? Honestly, just think about that for a minute. The enormity, given the enormity of everything he's done, given all that we've talked about the last few weeks, how could we not respond by absolutely giving our hearts and our lives 100% on fire, practical, living it out every day, worship to God? How could we not? If you're able to sit here and read through all this and really take it on and not respond, I'm impressed. (laughs) Or confused. (laughs) We've explored this gospel in such depth. I know we could always do more. There's always more we could have done. We could go through this whole thing again. We won't, but we could. (laughs) Maybe you want to do it yourselves. We spent 10 weeks climbing the mountain. We're looking back at the journey we just took. We're reflecting on this good news, this gospel, all that God's done for us. Surely our only logical response is to give our whole lives, not just to sing a nice rousing song. That's great. You know, when we worship together on a Sunday, that's so important. It's so valuable. And the guys who lead us, thank you. It was wonderful this morning. But it goes, you know, it goes so much further than that. God is looking for something much, much deeper than that. Christianity is a lived out faith. Everything we do is an act of worship. Let me read you something by Simon Ponsonby. Worship is, in fact, a life poured out in holiness and obedience, giving to the poor and missions, sharing the gospel with the lost, sharing our bread with the hungry, sharing our lives with one another. This is Ponsonby. I believe God receives glory by the very birth of an infant, by bees making honey, by husband and wife making love, when the painter paints, when the singer sings, when the architect designs, when the teacher teaches, when the athlete competes. You can insert your own, whatever it is you do in there as well. Worship in song is just one part, a significant but small part of glorifying God in worship. A life lived to God by obedience and faithfulness to his will and his word is worship. A life lived resisting sin and temptation is worship. A life lived honouring to God, honouring God by honouring others, by honouring our bodies, all of this is worship. This is what we're called to. I remember a wonderful man, worship leader called Kevin Prosh. And I remember him saying something that really impacted me. It stuck with me ever since. And he said this, we, we don't adopt, he said, come to, worship, come to lead worship on a Sunday. I don't suddenly adopt a holy persona as I get onto the stage. I don't become somebody different when I get up here. Okay, I might use some different skills, but I'm the same person here, hopefully, as I am at home as I'm with my friends, there is no sacred-secular divide. The way we, we get up, the way we go to bed, the way we treat our family, the way we treat our colleagues, it's all a daily offering of our bodies. A rational or logical response to God's incredible grace and mercy poured out for us. That's just verse 1. And then you get to verse 2. <laughs> And the third point is that we renew. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing 
and perfect will. So there's conforming and there's transforming. Our world seems to be controlled, if we're honest, pretty much by money, sex and power. These are basically the values that are elevated and celebrated and the values that people aspire to and are drawn to. That's certainly how people advertise things. Those are the stories that get told. Paul's instruction is to stand up and be counted against that backdrop. To stand up and be noticed. And you know, if we are doing that, then as Christians, we will seem a little bit at odds with the world. We will seem a little bit distinctive, but for the right reasons. I'm going to read you Ponsonby again because he's so good on this. The Christians should seem odd, countercultural, distinctive, not because we are Luddites or like the Amish or wearing plain clothes or talking with Elizabethan King James language or having weird, forced, cheesy grins, but because we are holy and holiness is radical and countercultural. Our speech, actions, reactions, demeanour, should mark us out. People should know we're Christians not because of the fish badge that we wear, but by our love and our lifestyle. If you think about this logically, people shouldn't be surprised when you tell them that you're a Christian. Pretty much, honestly, they should be able to see it coming. Oh, of course, you're one of them. (laughs) Because they can smell the fragrance of Jesus all about you. I don't know if I told you this story or not, but I go out and do this Uh, city chaplain uh, duty about every couple of weeks I have a little patch of shops on the high street where I just visit the people who work in those shops it's very simple and very straightforward I just go back every couple of weeks and say and get to know people and say how are you and is there anything I can do for you is there anything I'm not I'm, I'm not there particularly to pray for them but I do end up praying with people sometimes and praying for people sometimes I'm just there to listen really and to be there anyway I was in the shop and something happened and this lady had a she had this conversation with me and I said, I, I just said, I think I've told you this, haven't I? She, she said, is your church open? I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, I want to go somewhere and just sit. So I said, well, you could come here, but it's, it doesn't really work like that. But there's a really lovely place just around the corner. Anyway, we had this conversation. I went back the following week. And I, pray, I ended up praying for um, her colleague who's got a sore ear. And I pray for her colleague and I pray a blessing on the business. And she says to me, do you know, after last time you came, we felt so much better. And I said, that's lovely, thank you. It's actually not me. <laughs> I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and I believe that if you follow Jesus, then the presence of Jesus follows you, and this is the presence of Jesus that you're experiencing. And she went, lovely. Well, it was lovely anyway, thank you. <laughs> We're called to be in the world, but not of it. It's not about withdrawing from society like some sort of holier-than-thou Pharisees. It's not about staying in a clique where we're safe from contamination. We're the contagious ones. We carry the presence of Jesus. And his model was to get out there and infect the world and influence it, but not conform to its values. It's like we're like the yeast in a batch of dough, which just kind of gets mixed in and mixed in and eventually affects the whole batch. And Paul was warning against... You know, that whole thing of being in the world, but actually allowing the world's standards and the world's patterns to start to influence you. And a great metaphor for this, you've probably heard this bit of folklore, is this thing of the frog that sits in a pan of water. Have you heard this story or metaphor? It's kind of a metaphor that's used. How it works is that the the frog, what they say is if you put a frog in in some water, cold water, and you heat the water up, the frog doesn't jump out. Now actually... Um, most frogs would, but in 1872, an experiment by a guy called Heinzman actually demonstrated this. It's scientifically documented and, and corroborated. That if, it says a normal frog wouldn't, it says when the temperature of the water was raised quickly, normal frogs do attempt to escape, but when the frogs, the water is heated very slowly, I mean, we're talking less than 0.2 degrees C per minute, so very slow heating, there was no reaction and the frog didn't escape. And the frog boiled in the water. Yeah, nice. If the water temperature is heated gradually enough, then the frog doesn't notice the change that's going to kill him. And that's used as a metaphor in society, and it's a good metaphor for what Paul's talking about here. When culture or society around us kind of 
creeps in on us, when we allow ourselves to be influenced by it or conformed by it, by the end, we've changed. It, it suggests a passivity. I'm not talking, Paul isn't talking about being an intentionally willful or an act of sin or disobedience, but rather an incremental succumbing to the culture and values of the world around us, which after a while, if we allow it to happen, will have a devastating effect on us and on our relationship with God. No one sets out on a marriage to have an affair. Not many, not many normal people do that. But many people do get there because they've slipped in their values and they've slipped in their truth. And things have just ebbed away and ebbed away until eventually they throw everything away that they ever wanted when they started out. You just can't get out the hot water. There's a quote there again by Ponsonby that I've put on your sheet. You don't abandon God for the world in one step. But every little act of sin makes a bigger one more manageable. And it's why Jesus went straight to the root and not the branch when he condemned lust and not just adultery. When he condemned anger and not just murder. I wonder if there are ways in which our thinking and our values and our habits and our patterns are being conformed to the pattern of the world rather than the culture of God. The culture of the world rather than the truth of the Bible. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Transformation. The word is metamorphosis. Which means a complete change from one state to another state, from one form to another form. And the, an, an obvious example is you know, the, the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That transformation is built into that animal's design. A caterpillar doesn't set out and the whole thing of being a butterfly, well, that's just a distant dream. You know, one day I might make it. It is attainable and it will happen, unless, of course, the caterpillar is sick or eaten. But that's a different story. <laughs> Assuming it isn't, it will make the change. And that word, metamorphosis or transformation, it's only used a couple of other times in the Bible. Once it's used to describe Jesus when he's up the mountain at his transfiguration. His appearance com- seems, appears to completely change to this radiant, glorious, heavenly being up on the mountaintop. And the other time, Paul uses it when he writes in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, we're on a journey of transformation where we grow incrementally to become more and more like him, transformed into his image. I don't know if you, I don't know what you think about this, but there's a, there is a longing in the human soul for transformation. Deep down we all know that we're pretty much like grubby little caterpillars. Longing to be, but we were made to fly like butterflies. Humankind is in a mess longing for change. Sin has interfered and frustrated God's original design. That's how it is. And so sadly, too many people end up metaphorically dying in their cocoon without ever reaching the butterfly stage or becoming fully what it is that God's intended us to be. And for many people, they try and express that change, that transformation through, I don't know, through society or economy or government. They try and change the environment. Or maybe it's more personal than that. If I can change my situation, my circumstances, my career, my home, my body shape, my hair colour, my education, the lines on my face, my garden, my partner. If I can change those things, then maybe I'll become who I'm meant to be. Why do you think makeover shows are so popular? Deep down, everyone yearns for transformation, but the truth is those transformations they are pretty superficial. And they don't deliver what they promise. And Jesus' transformation is altogether different. And so a really good metaphor for this is not the frog in boiling water, but the frog who gets kissed and becomes a prince. We've sung that, we didn't sing today, but we sing that hymn sometimes, Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. This is the kind of Jesus' transformation. A true and wholehearted transformation. How does it happen? Paul says it happens... By the renewing of our minds. Right thinking leads to right living. See, as we've we've already looked at in Romans, we tend to get, our minds tend to get formatted according to the desires of our flesh. We're kind of programmed to do that. And sometimes 
A reprogramming needs to take place. Sometimes a complete restart needs to take place. You know, sometimes when your computer just jams up so much, you just have to completely wipe the thing and start again. Transformed thinking leads to transformed living. We learn to think differently. Martin Luther King said this, as long as the mind is enslaved, the body can never be free. He knew in the, in the struggles that he was in that it was all about changing people's thinking. The transformed mind becomes a standard, or says, by which we can figure out how to live God's way. We allow our thinking to be transformed and changed. It allows us and helps us to make the wise choices. So restoration or regeneration of our minds is the only way that our bodies or our fleshly appetites or our sinful desires can actually get changed. So we don't get conformed to the world, we get conformed to Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. How do we do that? We dwell on his truth and we stay close to him. I read you that verse from 2 Corinthians. We with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed. It's not the act of contemplation that changes us. It's the one that we're looking at that changes us. We become what we look at. The Spirit transforms us into the likeness of Jesus as we look at Jesus and as we gaze at him. And a guy called Eckhart said this, God is like fire and fire converts wood into fire. Whatever fire touches, it turns into fire. Similarly, as we come to Christ, we become like Christ. We become what we behold. If we watch porn, we'll become immoral. If we watch violence, we'll become aggressive. If we study Jesus, guess what? We'll become like Jesus. So having reflected on God's incredible mercy and this grace that he's shown us, we're called to live a life of logical, rational worship where we stand out in the world, not because we're weird, but because we live by different values. And our values point to Jesus. What does this look like in practice? It looks like many things in practice. And over the next couple of three weeks, we'll explore the next couple of chapters of Romans, which unpacks some of that. I just want, for the last three or four minutes today, I just want to suggest one specific way of living this out. I want to suggest to you that one way that this looks is by an active and functional membership of a local church. That passage, the rest of the passage that I read to you, verses 3 to 8, I'm not going to read it again. But in my Bible, it's called Humble Service in the Body of Christ. And that passage is pretty well known. Paul talks about the church as a body and he talks about spiritual gifts, which are themes that he returns to in other parts of his books. And we've taught on them before and I don't intend to teach on them today. But I do want to challenge us on this point, And that's this, that Paul seems to be saying the first response to this act of worship is humble service in the local body of Christ. It seems to be what he's saying. By the way, that, what he's talking about in the bodies thing, it reminds me of this quote of John Wimbers. Can you move that on for me? That's jammed up. Can you just pop that onto the next slide for me? Thank you. That one, that's it. John Wimber used to say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you clean the toilets or lead the worship, the pay is the same. See, the book of Romans is a full-on description of the gospel the good news of God, the story of how God rescues and saves people. And the invitation is there to all of us to step into his story. We get to be part of it. We get to live it out in our lives. We get to live out God's story. And the place where we do that is in the context of our local church and our local communities. And here in Winchester Vineyard, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I shared a word a little while back about, I felt like God said that we are a a blood-soaked church, by which I mean the blood of Jesus, which is what this gospel proclamation message of Romans is all about. We're marked by the blood of Jesus, and that keeps us ever conscious of the power of the cross and the gospel. And also I felt like God said those who are marked by his blood have the authority to stand against the culture around us and make an impact. And that's what we're called to be. 
So there are many ways in which Romans 12, 1 and 2 works out. But I want to suggest to you this one. I want to challenge us to think about this today. If we're all about Jesus, and if you're part of this church, then you're invited, no encouraged, no challenged to follow Jesus actively and fully, living our faith in the context of this community. And in the communities that you live in, and you work in, and you socialise in. And as leaders in this church, we've been asking God, what is it that you're what is it that you want us to do? What are your hopes and dreams for us for the next season? We spent about two or three months of last year, the, the back part of last year, just trying to listen really hard to what God's saying. What is the next season? Or what are you, what, what's the vision? What, what do you want us to do? And he said a number of things to us, which I'll unpack over the next few weeks and months. But there's a, I just want to give you a taster and a challenge. I spent about six hours locked away trying to come up with a form of words that describes... The vision that I think God is calling us to. And it's here. I've actually reproduced it on your sheet for you, but it's up here as well. I'm going to read it out to you just as I wrote it. We believe that God wants to rewrite the story of our city, restoring hope and bringing life to individuals and institutions. We believe the good news of Jesus has the power to rescue and save everyone. Passionately pursuing him and growing together as his disciples, we are compelled to live out this story, demonstrating his love and making a difference in our communities. We are not here to build a large or great church, but we want to be part of a kingdom movement that brings about transformation, one life at a time, and releases everyone to live out the dreams God places in their heart. I really hope that you can say yes and amen to that. Because, uh, as I said, I spent a lot of time trying to put it together. We'll pray more about this stuff next week. Paul's already talked about the 24-7 prayer. Come on Friday. Come on overnight Friday night. Come on Saturday. Pray with us about what this looks like. Now, I'm not trying to be overdramatic here, but basically, I'll be honest with you, these words express what it is that Joe and I want to do for the rest of our lives. As long as we're called here, this is what God has called, this is what we want to do. For me, this is how I think I'm challenged to live out the challenge of the message of the book of Romans. I am an ongoing work of God, just like you. I'm not perfect. But having spent so much of my life not living to my full potential, and having experienced his grace again and again and again, and having explored the truth again of what he's actually done for me and what he wants of me, then as far as I'm concerned, this is it. I don't really have anything else to live for. Five years in the making. (laughs) Now there's more to say, obviously, but this captures it for me. God has massive plans for our church. He's got massive plans for our city and our communities. He wants transformation in the whole of society. And we're called to make it happen. And if we can live out of Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's, that's what will happen. So very simply, and just to finish, if you consider yourself to be part of this church, then I invite you to join with me and Joe and the other leaders in this church in actively participating and fully living this thing out. Does that make sense? What does that look like at the start of 2016? Very practically. You'll have seen this if you've been to newcomers. We talk about getting connected here. We talk about four things that we do to get connected. I call them functional membership. The fifth one's just something we say at Newcomers. Come on a Sunday, join a life group, join a team, help make it happen, and give your money. I mean, every week we gather on a Sunday and we have a great time here. And the Lord ministers to us and he visits us and it's wonderful. And people love to come. Don't need to say much about that. We've already talked about life groups and the importance of that. I really strongly urge you, get into a life group this term. If you don't know which one to get into, ask somebody to help you. Go to the Connect Desk and ask them. Come and talk to me or Joe or one of the leaders and ask them. How do I, if you don't know which one to do, then just, just pray and ask the Lord. There's a life group for you. There's a life group for everybody. There are hundreds of them. Sorry, there are 22 of them. That's prophetic. There'll be hundreds next year. Serve on a team. We need loads of people to make church happen. The truth is, a few people make it happen for most of us most Sundays. And we need to expand that. So if this is part of your church, if you're new here and you haven't joined a team yet, what are you waiting for? Get stuck in. 
There are loads of teams. There are loads of teams. You can pick up a flyer, come talk to us about it. Some of you may have been emailed or approached lately because you've just been to a newcomers and we're trying to ch- if, if we're trying to chase you down to get into a team, then do us a favour and chase us back and come and say, yeah, I'm up. I'm up for it. I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up here. You know, we have a great welcome here, but I really want us to start our welcome right at the top of the road as soon as people turn in if they're coming in the car. I want us to have a team out on the car park that smiles and cheerful and waves and says, hey, welcome to church. Well, perhaps not like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the question is, are you a guest or a host? If you've come as our guest, then you're more than welcome. Once you've decided that you're staying, then become a host. And don't get stuck in the middle, because in the middle between guest and host is consumer. And we're not about consumers. Am I getting passionate enough? Yeah. Okay, last thing. Last thing. Give our money. Okay? We don't talk about money very much. I'm just going to talk about money for about a minute briefly. Our income has basically stayed the same for the last four or five years, which is wonderful in the midst of a massive financial crisis. And not only has our income stayed the same, as you know, we've been able to be wonderfully generous and compassionate. And you guys are generous and compassionate people. And we are grateful. And God is grateful. Thank you. But we believe God wants to do more. We've already heard about the incredible outpouring of compassion. One of the words that God has spoken to us about, which we're going to unpack for you properly over a whole Sunday morning in about um, five weeks, four or five weeks' time, is this. Compassion leads us to the city. We are currently in the process of setting a budget in faith for significantly more than we've had over the last four or five years in terms of our regular income. About, it's about a 9 or 10% increase. You guys are so generous. Our annual average giving comes around to somewhere around £330,000, which is amazing. And we spend it all. But to do everything we want to do and we feel God's inviting us to do, we probably need about 360 or 370 over this next year. That's a 9 or 10% increase. And if you're part of this church and you're trying to follow Jesus, this isn't an arm twist. I just want to invite you to have a conversation with God and review what it is that he's asking you to give to the church. Some people suggest that the Bible teaches that we should give the first 10% of our income. You can interpret the Bible that way. That's one way of interpreting it. It's not cut and dried. It's a helpful guideline. It's a good starting point if you haven't got time to look anywhere else in the Bible. But even more clearly than that, the Bible teaches that God wants us to give cheerfully and generously. It's generosity that God's after. It's our generous hearts. It's that, that way of life, that attitude that says God is bigger than my situation, I don't need this money, it's his, how do, how do I partner with him to do more? Now that's a direct challenge to the values of the world that we've been talking about. One verse just from 2 Corinthians says this, if you sow sparingly you'll reap sparingly and if you sow generously you'll reap generously. God loves a cheerful giver, not reluctantly and not under compulsion. So this isn't, as I said, I don't do arm twisting. But at the start of 2016, many of us may not have reviewed what it is that we give to the church. Maybe you just joined recently and you haven't kind of got around to setting up a standing order. Maybe the Lord, maybe you've had a pay rise and you just haven't, the giving hasn't caught up. Maybe you've had a donation or tax return or tax relief or something. Whatever it is. Maybe just the Lord is simply saying, hey, how about a bit more? Not that it's the church in need. This is an attitude, a heart attitude between us and God. Now, I realise that's quite a challenge, but that's a very practical response to the challenge of today, which is to offer our bodies and our wallets as living sacrifices. And I just want to kind of finish by reminding you, oh, there's some practical stuff. Just so you know, Joe and I don't see how much each an individual gives. We choose not to do that. But if you do give, giving regularly helps, and gift aiding really helps. It massively helps. But the challenge of today is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and not conform to the world, but be transformed. The danger of our culture is that it's all about self-centeredness and egocentricity. I am the most important thing in the culture. My choices, my lifestyle, my habits, my needs... And God is saying the logical conclusion of everything that Jesus has done for us, which describes in Romans chapter 1 to 11, is to say, okay, I'm not going to go that way. It's not about me. 
It's about him. So whether that's the challenge of giving or serving in the local church, or whether it's the challenge of changing our thinking in terms of how we view ourselves, whatever that challenge is, I'd love to encourage us just to rise up to that. I'm well over time. Shall we stand together? Why don't we pray? Just one practical thing. If, you wanna, if you're not sure about giving and how that works in this church, we've got a few of these giving packs and they're on the table and do grab one afterwards. Um, why don't we just close our eyes? Dan, you've got a word. Why don't you come and share that? Oh, Claire, sorry. Claire's got a word. Come and share that. Why don't we just close our eyes? Why don't we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit? Because, Lord, this is not about me or anything I've said. This is about you and everything you want to say. So we welcome you. We thank you. And as we reflect on what you're teaching us, on this truth of your word, we ask that by your spirit you touch our hearts, challenge us again. Renew and refresh us, we pray. I want you to share that word. Yeah. Um, in the car on the way here this morning, um, we were just worshipping as we were driving along. And um, I felt that Father was saying that he wanted to increase our intimacy and our freedom in our relationship with him. And worship is just one of the keys to intimacy. In a natural relationship... Um, There should be progression, eye contact, holding hands. There's increase through active pursuit. And it also becomes apparent to those around you. Our love spills out in how we worship. um, But I just feel Father's wanting us to take a step further. Um, As I was saying, just in relationship, we're active, not passive. Um, It's about take. sometimes we need to just take a step further than we've been before. Like I remember when I first started to express my worship publicly, but I'd be a bit shy and a bit nervous about just putting my hands out. But actually, as we step in, we sometimes then get comfortable with, with where we are, and I feel Father wants us to just go further. Um, we're family here, so this is a safe place. It should be a really safe place for you to be open with your relationship with God, because if you're able to express yourself here then you should be able to express yourself and start to step out when you're outside of here. So just encourage you to step in. Yeah. So um, if you want to respond to that particular word, I'd just love to invite you to come. And then I'm going to ask Claire to pray over us and pray over you particularly. Now there might be some other things that God wants to do, but if you want to respond to that particular word about a, a challenge from God, about intimacy and worship, However that's lived out, whether it's through money or lifestyle or anything, if you, if you feel like that word resonates with you and God is speaking to you today, then I just want to invite you to come. There's a space here. Nothing freaky or weird will happen. Just you will respond to God and then we will pray over you. So why don't you do that if, you, if that's you, if that's where you're at now. Why don't you come and stand here? That's you guys. If you want to respond to what God's doing, or if there is anything else that God is doing this morning you want to respond to, that's it, keep coming out. And team, worship team, why don't you come out as well? Why don't you come up? Okay, Claire, why don't you, why don't you pray that over us? Yeah. yeah? Why don't you pray that over us? Yeah. yeah, Father, thank you that you long to be intimate with us. That you, you're just in pursuit of us. So, Father, I pray that for every person here, that you would just relight the fires in people's hearts, that you would just relight the intimacy, Father, that you would just take each of us individually further than we've been before, Father. We would just, um, yeah, you just set our hearts on fire for you, Father, that there would be just such a passion and that that passion would just overflow into every area of our lives, yeah. Father. Thank you that, yeah. that your love transforms us, yeah. your love renews our minds, your love gives us a boldness to do things that we wouldn't be able to do in our own strength. So, Father, may we be people that are just so on fire for you, Father, that we're contagious, mm. that um, just even in the look in our eyes, just in the way that... Um, we are without even doing anything that would be touching people around us mm. and that people would just see your fire and it's just to be hungry for you so father mm. would you just start a fire that mm. just can't be yeah. quenched can't be put out that yeah. just becomes a raging forest fire father it just spreads in us and out of us into our streets into our um, neighborhoods father throughout the city and throughout this land yeah would you just be to set us on fire for you
And uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is here. And, and as Claire was praying, many of us were saying yes and amen in our hearts to what God wants to do. And I just have this sense, I know we're well over time. In just a sec, those of you who haven't already gone to get your kids, all need to just go and get your kids. But the, the Holy Spirit is here. And I would really, really strongly encourage us not to rush away from that. Guys are just going to lead us in a song, but God is here. So respond to what he's saying and doing in your heart. Whether it's a completely practical thing, maybe the Lord's just showing you a practical response. What it is that you can do by way of continuing to renew our minds and be transformed. Maybe the Lord's showing you an area of, your, of our life where that conforming thing is just, you know, the, the world's values are creeping in. And he just wants us to gently but firmly encourage us to deal with that. Or maybe it's just a greater invitation to intimacy. Whatever the Lord is doing, I just long, long to encourage you to push into that. Push into that. Push into that. Push into that. Let's just have a few folks come and stand with those who are at the front here and just pray gently for them. Continue to worship. Continue to respond. If you need to get your kids or get coffee, I'll just pray. I'll just pray. I'll just close the prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you're doing among us. We thank you for that calling to be transformed and renewed. We thank you for the truth of the gospel and all that you've called us to be as individuals and as part of this church community. We thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. And Holy Spirit, continue to lead us into all truth. Continue to lead us to the Father. Continue to lead us to Jesus. We are all about Jesus. Lord, there are bits of us that need to change and be transformed. There are bits of our thinking that need renewing. Lord, right now, here and now, we commit to doing that. We commit to pursuing that and pushing into that. We commit to getting into a life group, to joining a team, to reviewing our giving. We commit to all that you're inviting us and challenging us to do, we pray, Holy Spirit. Thank you. And we welcome your presence and we thank you for meeting with us this morning. And we bless you.